Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, episode 174, Brand 3 in A Clash of Kings, featuring our friend Courtney. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. And yes, we have an exciting episode, and we thought, what better way to prepare for the harvest feast here in North America than to bring one of the best harvesting, feasting people we know, Courtney, aka So Refined. That's me. <laughs> That's it. Thank That's you so much for joining Courtney us. Makes a, yeah, fantastic um, like photos as we've discussed, like of of these harvests. Yeah, Courtney is our literal. I was gonna say our harvest feast gatherer. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, she she posts these gorgeous oh photos of produce on the Discord. I, I I'm serious yeah. when I say, I would yeah, I would seriously sign up for that thing just based on that alone because they're just like very vibrant. And maybe we'll have a special one to post on uh, the Patreon post for this or something for patrons. Maybe Courtney will oblige us. But we'll talk a little more about some harvest with Courtney in just a moment. First, let's tackle a little bit of housekeeping up top. Uh, last month, for patrons in the Stranger tier and above, five bucks and up who get bonus episodes, they got an episode about the Kingsguard. And this month, we are going to continue with a little less of the Dudes Rock, but mostly still Dudes Rock, with the Queensguard. I can't wait to talk about that with Eliana and put that out. That is available over at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. Yes. And for patrons in the Thunder tier and above, $10 and up. We also have our Discord, which, uh, again, you can get access photos of Courtney's Harvest there, uh, as well as monthly brunches slash happy hours, games and stuff go on. I don't know if the games will happen at this upcoming one, uh, because every time I try to hold games, like it goes awry, and I will be hosting this time. Um, you know, uh, Chloe is going to be like King Rob, off fighting a war. And I will be your, you know, wee bab holding the fort down. You're just a lad. I'm just, I'm just a little lad, you know, holding down the harvest feast on... Sometimes if I let you go for too long, you come up with shit like this, and it just makes me really happy. On Thank you. Saturday, November 26th, it's just me. It's just me, and I will greet you, and you will all swear to me, like Mira and Jojen coming in late. Because Chloe's fighting a war. I hope you know if you listen to our podcast that I fight a war every yeah. week, first of all. Instead of you, there were two wolves. There, Eliana, and everything that says stop. Yeah, my god. Uh, it's true, though. I am going to be an absent mother this week. Gonna cattle and stark it on out of there. And I will be busy with some friends visiting long distance so i probably won't be able to make brunch i think we have some traveling to do we might pop over to the old beautiful nyc or something but uh maybe i'll pop in still you don't know NYC i might try, to, might try to listen in nyc you next tuesday or friday but <laughs> but uh, yeah it's gonna be a good time even if eliana lets it go a little awry and doesn't get to play any reindeer games uh, I hope everyone attends Eliana's Harvest Feast Saturday the 26th for ET for the Thunder tier patrons and up. Okay. Yeah. And 
you know, we, we've got some other episodes coming out in the future. I know that we're both stressing and looking forward to the final season of His Dark Materials. If you are into the books, haven't watched, or have watched the adaptation, get ready because you're going to have episodes weekly dropping. For the two episodes, they're dropping weekly. Oh my god, they are putting out two episodes a week to get through season three, the final season of His Dark Materials, and they're barely advertising it. What does that mean? I don't know. Tell them to stop putting out. <laughs> right. I'm like, put out slower. Yeah. Okay. Build some mystery. <laughs> yeah, tease. You know, where's foreplay? Yeah. There's no foreplay <laughs> when they're crushing your heart with the last season. So, I don't know. We will be foreplaying for you. You will have to listen up, check out those apps, and uh, we'll hear more soon. More soon on that. Now, let's hear more about Courtney. What I want to hear about, yeah, Courtney, can you tell us a little about your farm share? Because. I, I know we're, like, joking, but it actually has become kind of a staple in the Girls Gone Canon Discord, and it kind of built a little food community. Everybody <laughs> talks about their food more openly, kind of because of yeah. you. Uh, yeah, so the farm share is just like a... It's like a thing where you pay up, up front at the beginning of the season, and you get a certain share uh, every week of whatever vegetables are harvested from this farm. Um, and I've been doing it for about five years now. So to be clear, I am not growing any of the vegetables. I'm just taking my eyes. <laughs> no uh, one's ever but, proven um, this to me, so. <laughs> um, I, I do know the farmers. They're very nice, but uh, I do not actually grow the vegetables. Mm. I do try to arrange them attractively and then take a photograph of That's them. That's the important part. Uh, yeah. yeah, so that people on the internet will think I have cool vegetables. <laughs> And it's worked. Here I am. We, well, it has worked. Well, we, we think do. you have very cool vegetables, right? <laughs> well, well, okay. Yeah, no imposter syndrome there. I mean, it's true. You do. What are the cool vegetables both this week during our Harvest Feast week and then for next week, the real life Harvest Feast? Okay, so uh, this week we had fennel. Ooh. We had uh, Hakurai turnips, which are like small salad turnips. We had a butternut squash, a red onion, a bulb of garlic, uh, a pound and a half of carrots. And oh. they have the most amazing carrots. They're called chantenays, um, which, are call which are French fatties. <laughs> uh, they're very thick, delicious okay. carrots. Okay. Um, both wow. daikon and black Ooh. Spanish radishes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, a Napa cabbage and a head of tatsoi, which is sort of like... If spinach and bok choy had a baby. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that's this week. Next week, they actually do a double share because <gasps> of Thanksgiving. Wow. So, yeah. So coming in next week's share is butternut squash, yellow Ooh. onion, a half pound of shallots, oh. five pounds of potatoes, a pound and a half of carrots, a pound either of rutabaga or watermelon radish. Um, uh, unknown. Uh, I will probably pick rutabaga because I have some watermelon radish okay. right now. Half pound of salad mix plus a half pound of spinach. A head of radicchio, which is actually my oh, least favorite thing that they grow there. The oh. dread radicchio. It's a little too bitter for okay. me. Celeriac bulb, which is like the root part of a celery. And they also, for Thanksgiving, always give you a pound and a half of their heirloom cornmeal. Oh, cool. And some fresh herbs, which are probably going to consist of parsley, sage, thyme, and dill. 
So wow. <laughs> it'll be a lot. This is awesome. Uh, but fortunately, a lot of that's yeah. Fortunately, a lot of that stuff will last for quite yeah. a long time. True, true. As winter vegetables tend to do, and then the week after that is the last week of the share until oh, it's bad. You know what you're getting wow. for the last? Okay. No, I don't know. I don't know that yet. Uh, but that's a surprise, roots okay. probably. <laughs> Honestly, I'm also. I think that's so awesome. The half pound of shallots. I love shallots. I only ever buy like a few at a time, but I I yeah. love the idea of getting a half pound of them. They're really versatile. Yes. I don't know much about cooking rutabaga, though. Tell me about that. It's pretty much like cooking any other root vegetable. Um, it's a like a slightly sweet experience. Nice orange color. Actually, yeah. in the Song of Ice and Fire, they're referred to by uh, as as neeps. That's what uh, ah. they're called in. I want to say Ireland, and then Swedes in uh, the in Britain, but rutabaga in the United States. They are great in pasties. Highly recommend hmm. to chop them up and make your little pies with them. Yum. Though those are like everything in your kitchen sink. Throw whatever it yeah. is. <laughs> but if you have a rutabaga, definitely throw that in. Honestly, the thing I'm most excited about is the five pounds of potatoes. Mm. Because usually for the Thanksgiving week, they give you um, these potatoes that are called German butterballs. Name checks out. They're like very, very buttery and delicious potatoes, and I like to use them to make my Thanksgiving mashed potatoes. Nice, yeah, very cool. Yum. Um, so we didn't ask this up top. You were like, "That's me," but you know, <laughs> tell us, tell us uh, a little about how you got into a saga of ice and fire. Where can the people find you? What do you like about Bram? Okay, well, I started watching the television show that these books are based yeah, on yeah. Um, at the advent of HBO Now. So uh, my experience is I watched the first five seasons of Game of Thrones yeah. all at once. Oh. And then between the fifth and sixth seasons, I read all the books. Uh-huh. And then I watched the rest of the show and, you know. What an interesting no time notes, all to brilliant. come into it during season five when like things like really yes, diverge. very strange. You know, like, uh, I know, like, I think I I started right after, like, season two. I think, Chloe, you started around a similar time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, like, season five, I think, is a really, really interesting time to decide to start the books because that's, again, how, how did you feel about that? Yeah, that's the, about the fifth season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> well, I, I don't know. I mean, you didn't know at that time, but, like, upon reading the books and seeing, like, that huge divergence, like, how do you, how did that feel for you? I think that, like, as a person who didn't read the books until somewhat late in the run of the TV show, I feel, like, pretty confident in saying that certain things that I think went wrong with the television show were clear very early on, mm. even to me as a person who hadn't read the mm. books. Interesting. That's good. Um, That's yeah. good to know. <laughs> and um, I-, I love the books. I'm... I- I- I'm really glad that that the television show exists because I never would have read these books otherwise Um, because I can't read, but (laughs) or I, it seems that way. Sometimes I hardly ever read fiction. I should, maybe that's a better way of putting it. Um, And I just am so glad to have like found these and um, love thinking about the characters, especially my child Brandon Stark. Mm-hmm. Woo! Um, and one of the reasons that I, 
uh, one of the reasons that I like Bran so much is that from my perspective, he is sort of the the beating heart of A Song of Ice and Fire. Like he's the mo- like one of the most empathetic characters that we see, maybe partly because he's such a small child, like he doesn't have any reason to not like love everything all the time. Mm. And I think that he often feels overwhelmed by his positive emotions. Like when he's sent, like for example, when he thinks about like, well, what if I just told Mira right now that I loved her? And even though I'm like a middle-aged woman, that's very relatable to me. Cause I too have a lot of positive feelings about people sometimes Mm. and i'm afraid i will overwhelm them (laughs) uh with uh how much joy they bring me (laughs) stop talking Um, about me out loud uh so you know the the books themselves are obviously like a very rich tapestry but i'm so glad that we have brandon stark and i know that you know Jon snow has many fathers in this series but Bran Stark has many mothers in this family. <laughs> like, in the series, like, none. <laughs> oh, so true, bestie. So true. <laughs> Tell him. I'm so excited. Oh, God. Someone to speak the gospel with me. <laughs> so happy you're here. Uh, I guess I can't, like, be Bran's mother, because, you know, I'll be, I'll be picking on, you know, his role, like, a... So. <laughs> you're still about You're gonna that. get in a tree. Oh, I think that we should mention that this is the uh, All Only Child uh, yes. Yes. podcast here. Oh, finally. Three Only Child. Oh, my I God. I, too, and I'm only... Yes, I, too. <laughs> I am one, also. <laughs> well, that that's kind of obvious, actually. Now that you say it out loud. I know you generally don't want to be found online, Courtney, but uh, I, I know you're you're very active at the Discord. Is there anywhere else so that Eliana can be done with her question? It's not even that I don't want to be found. It's that I'm not there. Oh, <laughs> Mysterious. So you'll really mostly only find me on the Girls Gone Canon Discord, which is why you have to sign up for the Patreon immediately. It's exclusive. If you want to see yeah. those, if you want to see those vegetables, <laughs> you see I, I, they didn't even the the our hosts here didn't even mention that I also post pictures of many of the things that I cook. This is also yes. true, uh, which is a whole. It other is thing. like a daily this food post true. from you. It's amazing. Yeah. That's why I said you, you've created a culture of food mm-hmm. in our Discord. And I love that because that's something really dear to our hearts. We love Absolutely. food together. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, Discord is mostly the only place uh, that you'll find me. So come join. <laughs> We're ready. Something I have to point out before we jump into the episode is that Eliana, you've been traveling abroad, and I don't know if you saw this, but Courtney... No, I saw this. I just decided to... I, I was like, I pretend I do not see it. I pretend I do not see it. Oh, I saw it, like, also, like, I don't know, five <laughs> days after it happened. And I was like, I can't deal with this. So, there's been an ongoing discussion on this podcast about whether or not George R. R. Martin is talking about corn in the beautiful yellow kerneled sense, or barley corn when using corn. In Brand's plot. Infamously, you may remember that Aliana swears that it's barley, and that Chloe, me, swears that it is the Colonel Golden type of go- corn. Courtney has mentioned on Discord <laughs> that in the annotated enhanced iBooks, there is a note that says, like Tolkien before him, Martin's world is largely based on medieval Europe, but there are intrusions from the New World as well. In Tolkien's case, it was potatoes, 
and Martin's It's Corn. How official is no this? Comment. I don't know. I don't know. I'm sorry, that's the definitive answer. Oh, it's okay. official. Well, all right. Well, welcome. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. Now your name is going to just have to be Courtney. Get it. <laughs> Uh, yes, these are these are author-approved notes, and I guess one of the advantages of coming sort of late to this fandom <laughs> is that these editions came out kind of late, and I gather not many people have read them because they have all kinds of footnotes in them that are, some are just informational, but some are just like, hey, hey, this is what I meant, so stop <laughs> asking me. <laughs> like, you can just hear the, the argument on the other end. Um, and he does also clarify in these that uh, Catelyn did not want Tyrion to notice her when they were at the end of the crosswords, uh, crossroads, crosswords. So pew 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 again, a definitive. Answer. I feel like it's kind of that one is so funny to me because I'm like I thought everyone kind of knew that, <laughs> right? Unless you're just reading a totally different series. I think there are a lot of people who don't want to know it. <laughs> it just felt obvious. <sighs> And that's all I have to say on that. But you know, maybe maybe it's not obvious. As for me, it's not obvious what kind of corn it was. So interesting. No notes. Anyways, moving on. Thank you, Courtney, for bringing that to uh, my attention. It was very kind of you. Selfless. Uh, well, we uh, we don't ha- just have Courtney's words in this episode. We also have s- some emails and tweets of note. I I forgot to grab some tweets. I'm sorry, friends. But we did get an email from our friend Warren. Um, who who has some great insights about Bran. I'm going to bring up something else from Warren later on this episode, but Warren sent us an email about how this Harvest Festival is reminiscent of some other fall festivals in a couple of different real-world cultures, such as, for example, All Saints Day and Samhain and Maven. I'm, I'm hoping I'm saying that right, because these are tricksy. And also the idea of how during some of these festivals, the veil between the worlds of fairy folk and men tend to be permeable. So that that magic been in a bit more. Oh, that's so fun. And reminds me a little bit of what uh, a lot of what Pullman talks about, right? With the, the secret comic exactly, exactly. Of, of different beings. And there's a little bit in this. Absolutely. Well, let's find out what we missed between brand two and brand three in our lightning round. Starting off with Tyrion IV. Tyrion plays a very famous political trick on men that he suspects are not loyal to him. Sansa II. Sansa is surrounded by drunk men at least 15 years older than she is in King's Landing. Exciting. (laughs) And in Arya V, Gendry unmasks Arya. Gendry is captured by Gregor Clegane's men. Hot Pie panics in the rescue attempt and gets them all caught. And poor, poor Lamy. Tyrion 5. Tyrion has an extremely fruitful day of being a productive member of the Small Council. He visits the Guild Hall of the Alchemists, gets Rob's peace term from Cleos, and argues with Cersei about marrying Marcella off to Dorne. And that brings us here to Akash King's Bran 3. The harvest feast begins at Winterfell, but no feast is complete without its final fashionable arrivals. The reeds come to Winterfell, and that night... Bran dreams of that in the Cotswood. So the second most important thing we're going to talk about in the chapter, the first being food, right? We've already kind of started with our food talk. You can expect this to be a food cast today. But the second most important thing is fashion. Dancer is draped in a snowy white wool with the gray direwolf on it. 
while Bran is wearing gray breeches and a white doublet, sleeves and collars trimmed with fair, a wolfhead brooch of silver and polished jet. Bran would have rather have summer emblazoned on his chest rather than a wolf, but Roderick said no. This was so sad because he wants to use summer as his personal sigil. That's kind of what I took that as. It makes me wonder mm -hmm. if he will take summer as his sigil eventually or some amalgamation of it. You know, I don't know what you guys think his sigil might be. A three-eyed wolf, maybe? Uh, my thought is a werewolf, well, werewolf, a werewood with a wolf's face. Maybe three eyes. Three eyes optional. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know. I wonder if it would be like, you know, I, I, I know I said last, last chapter, the chapter before, this idea of quartering it with the Tully tully sigil right but i think that the weirwood mm -hmm. also makes a lot of sense replacing that concept of the the seven kingdoms but but mm -hmm. maybe you know having something kind of uniting them as well i don't know i don't really understand i i was like staring recently at a bunch of like different coats of arms and i was like hmm, i really should have learned about this more but i was like that's cool i'm glad that's there <laughs> in real life it kind of comes back to the conversation, what, last week about the quartered sigils for the phrase. Uh, they have to rely on their mother's house or the grandmother's house to take a boost on their social standing side. And I think that's an interesting idea. Like, maybe he will do something, I don't know, similar to how they adapted the crown for Viserys in House of the Dragon. They put all seven of the kingdoms on the crown, uh, even though he only has control of six. Instead of doing the, the seven stones for the seven, the rainbow stones on Jaehaerys One's book crown, which is fine. I'm still not bitter about that or anything. But <laughs> you have to have one complaint about it, right? For such a great show. I, I wonder if Bran would take from the Stark sigil and maybe cross it with his mob sigil, even. I think uh, the Starks have to be seen here, though, specifically with the Stark wolf, which also sticks out to me. They have to be seen as feeding this insane feast to their bannermen, to their people. It's very important. The Stark sigil is what does it. And it kind of goes along with that idea of that's really prominent in Bran's chapters of sacrificing his own desires and needs versus the people. And as he enters that oak and iron door, he kind of realizes it, right? When he hears all of the people shouting Winterfell and Stark and knowing that's not, it's not about me. It's about House Stark. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know what Bran is going to do, like, with his sigil in the future. I think he's very inextricably tied to the North and to his own house. So somehow I I doubt he'll incorporate a Tully sigil, but um, maybe. I just think it could be good for a compromise to show, like, in regards to, to tying it together, you know, in terms of, especially if the North secedes. It, it just doesn't look good, right, to be there as a northern king uh, and, and not to play up the symbolism of your ties to these southern kingdoms and mm. that sort of claim of being part of the rest of, I guess, the leftover six kingdoms. <laughs> uh, but I, I don't know. It could be also something entirely different, right? You were talking about, like, the wolves and that might be something he wants to keep, right, especially in honor of his family with the, the people that he's lost, since we see that's a big part of this chapter and, and his storyline in general. But also maybe he could pick something else, right? He could be like, I'm going to pick a bird. Maybe. A raven. Yeah, I mean, mayhaps, mayhaps he'll want to memorialize his departed dire wolf. Yeah. Or the winged wolf. Yeah, the winged yeah, wolf. Yeah, I like that winged wolf. Plus, plus a that. crown, just to make it really my little pony. Oh my god. <laughs> 
the Pegasus Wolf. <laughs> That's a whole different robe we don't have time on because I don't need to like explain who's Fluttershy in that. Um <laughs> Uh, but yeah, as far as, um, you know, sort of Bran's description of how much he wanted to have Summer depicted in uh, on his brooch, and uh, he was told no. There's actually a couple of times in this chapter when he describes how his surrogate parents, Roderick and Lewin, are really unyielding to his demands. And to me, that's just like, you know, we've already talked a lot, we. I say like, I do talk to the podcast when I'm listening to it, but this time you can hear me. Uh, you've talked a lot about how like Martin is already laying the groundwork for how eventually we're going to see Bran make this um, ethical breach that's a real intrusion into Hodor's consciousness. And I think that when he describes Bran's frustration by saying, pointing out all these times when he really wants to do something and he's supposed to be the Lord and he's supposed to be in charge, um, there's still all these adults saying, no, you can't do that. And eventually that frustration is just going to break into a pretty severe ethical breach. But he is still just a child. Yeah. I think he has less moral responsibility than like Varamir. <laughs> yeah. There's like still time, right, for him. He could still come back from this a little bit. And that is part of the nuance of it. I mean, he is, in this chapter, we just learned he just passed his name day. He's nine now, I think. So... It's kind of more growing and learning. And it's interesting when this is being portrayed against Joffrey right now as a boy mm -hmm. king, right? And, and as a boy leader, how he should act. And yes, Joffrey is older than Bran. Uh, but then even, you know, we brought up neeps and turnips already today. Then you think of Tommy. Yeah, uh, I actually was thinking about uh, Joffrey as well and him sort of shouting commands down from the Iron Throne. And uh, I think at the point where he becomes king... Instead of really acting like his regents, they, to promote the legitimacy of uh, him as king, they basically have to, Cersei basically has to be like, yep, uh, this guy's in charge. We don't, we don't need any, anybody else like advising him. So he pretty much is given absolute power to kind of do whatever he wants um, without anybody really getting in the way of him, especially when uh, only Cersei is there. Yeah, that's a great point. And and it's a it's a good reminder of why maybe children should not be given absolute power, which I think is that's like actually an exploration of what's going on here, right? What happens when someone has these desires as a child, right? And and as they grow mm -hmm. and the means to be able to to fulfill them, but also when you're talking about them being kids in regards to Joffrey, at a similar time as uh, you know, towards the beginning of this book, you have those moments with in King's Landing, where you have Marcella and Tommen, who are similar ages, and they're like, we're children, we're supposed to be childish, like, this is normal, <laughs> like... Yeah, putting them in that pressure cooker is, like, unfair. Yeah. It doesn't add up well, and... As a very wise and not a, not at all immoral man once said, boy lords are the bane of any house. <laughs> yeah, and look at what we just came off the end of in the Vale, right? With Robert mm -hmm. Aaron. Mm -hmm. he, uh, he also has a little bit of that. He was old enough to know that it was not truly him they shouted for. It was the harvest they cheered. It was Rob and his victories. It was his lord father and his grandfather. And all the Starks going back 8,000 years still made him swell with pride. So it's a little bit of what you were saying earlier, right? His connection to the Starks and what he's taking from the sigil, the branding, but also uh, internally. 
strength. Um, you know, it's a very pack survives kind of idea here of how he is finding strength in his family and from Winterfell in the same way that Sansa does, but she thinks of the memory of Winterfell. But I think there's also kind of maybe, you know, something else too on, on another like level of reading it. Not saying that this is foreshadowing, but just thinking about how Bran literally does have that connection with all those Starks going back all of that time. I mean, we, we went through that timeline of like, here's all the bazillions of Brandons who existed when we were starting this POV. Um, it's a little bit, you know, like Whitney Houston. Uh, he's every Brandon. It's all in My him. God. But maybe kind of literally just because of Bran's special superpowers. And in, in regards to that very like magical Chosen One-esque journey, Bran riding in is a little bit kind of like Jesus riding in on a donkey. Yeah. The cheering. There have already been like two references to that moment in his plot. Mm -hmm. How interesting is that? How interesting. I think that uh, besides all the stuff that you're talking about with his broader connections to the Starks, uh, to his own family, that this is really illustrative of how much Bran and Ned are alike. Um, they're both second sons. They did not expect to have this cup passed to them, but nonetheless, it did. Uh, and, you know, Ned is sort of like, none of this was meant for me. And Bran is like, none of this is for me, but, you know, I'm, I'm nonetheless the symbol of, uh, of this house that people need to see. Um, he, he takes on the role that he, he has to, even though it's not necessarily what he wants for himself, which, of course... There's a lot of things he wants for himself that have now sort of been curtailed for him as possibilities. Yeah. And I love yeah. that you brought up that I that the imagery, right? That's a little bit of like biblical language too with the regards to the cup passing, but because Bran literally does like hold his father's former cup and he's like he's like, Hmm, my dad used to drink out of this cup too. So it hurts. It hurts me a lot. I wish you wouldn't have said that. Well, this is also hurtful. Like, Bran forgets that he's broken. He, th he thinks of himself as broken until he reaches a dais where all the eyes watch him getting unstrapped from his horse and then carried to his father's seat. Okay, I'm sorry that I have to bring down the room. Even more. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, but, you know, one of the things that, that I did in preparation for this was to read the reread the chapter that I think is mm, this chapter's twin, which is, yes, the chapter in uh, Adoida, I, I think it's called, The Prince of Winterfell, uh, which is a Theon chapter, which has a very terrible wedding in it. Um, don't really want to talk about that part because it's real bad. But um, there is also a feast at Winterfell in this particular chapter. And... There's just like so many parallels, uh, but the but the thing that uh, that I kind of wanted to bring up first is that both Bran and Theon, who are both princes in Winterfell, um, obviously Bran is actually a prince in this chapter, but um, they're both sort of staged for these events to cover up the bodily harm that they've suffered, uh, Bran by the Lannisters, although of course he doesn't know that, uh, and Theon by the Boltons. Um, they both traverse the Great Hall of Winterfell and that it causes their infirmities to be revealed. Bran, of course, is lifted uh, off of his horse and onto uh, his father's chair. Theon, uh, whose gait has been 
changed by the torture that he has suffered has a very like cramped walking style so he walks up this long hall and just like with Bran with all these people noticing these infirmities that they have um, people get real judgy about it which is something that like the north really needs to work on it's just hard for me not to think about these two chapters together especially later on when we get to the behavior of our Stark and Winterfell Bran versus the behavior of <laughs> uh, Roose Bolton, a very, very cool uh, guy who's going to be sitting at the head of the table for that wedding feast. There's definitely something in, like, how swift, and obviously they're under threat by the Boltons, so I don't judge any of the people of Winterfell or Wintertown. In a way, just for a hot second, they really come to almost back Theon because, you know, they might die if they don't. Uh, and then Ramsay swoops in to be the ultimate ultimate villain prince of it all. He's like, I'm now the prince of Winterfell, and I'm worse than Theon, if you can understand that. And it's interesting how quick they are to move on. Like, Bran, Bran is burnt, hanging. Him and Rickon are hanging little burnt bodies, and Theon's like, well, you have to move on and love me because I'm the best prince ever. But then you get to Ramsay, and they didn't care about him as a prince either. Theon. Bummer. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, as you were saying, the cheering wasn't meant necessarily for any of them i guess yeah everyone does come back for that well up at the dais roderick is to bran's left beth is next to him rickon is to his right his hair grown out past his collar he had refused to let anyone cut it since cat left he bit the last girl that tried rickon squabbles with bran that he wanted to ride his horse up and he's a better rider for bran and bran's like shut up you're not he hushes him so this is actually kind of very annoying for Bran. I really felt for Bran when Rickon said that. Because I, I understand that Rickon is just, like, too young to get it, right? But Bran riding his horse isn't, like, something he's doing because it's fun, right? It's not a privilege for him. It's something that it, he's doing because it's making it possible for him to get around. Though I am also wondering, is riding the horse in actually part of the usual harvest feast ceremony? I do not remember. Yes. So... I think it's Tywin-esque, you know, like, yeah. not, and like, but it's similar, like, you know, he's making a grand entrance into the feast, but it's also Practical, different. yeah, like, there's a very practical aspect yeah. of it for Bran that's, like, different, and I'm just like, you know, it's one of those things where you see people and they're like, oh, we don't get to do this thing, and it's like, well, the things that make the world more yeah. equitable for other people isn't, like, taking something away from you or a disservice to you, thinking that makes you kind of a baby, kind of like Rickon, you know, that's some, like, immature baby brain shit. In fourth grade, I had a typing pad that I would type things onto because of my hands, because I just couldn't write as fast as the other kids. So any of my notes, anything that I did, anything I had to write for classwork, it was like a mini, almost computer with a very tiny screen. You couldn't see all of it. It just had like a small screen. But you typed, and then you would go up to the teacher, and she'd plug it in with the USB cable and transfer all of the data onto her computer for me and print it out for me. And I would have my homework or whatever I worked on. And I remember kids were like, that's so unfair. Why don't we get to have a computer to type on? This is so unfair. This is so unfair. And I'm like, you motherfuckers can write like 800 words in two minutes. Like, that's just not possible for me. It was very unfair. So I know this feeling. He wasn't doing it just to be cool. It's also the only way that it could be a fair playing field for Bran, that he has the eyes of the people on him and that they respect him. If he was walking in carried by Hodor, he wouldn't feel that he was garnering the same respect as a lord should garner. Yeah, absolutely. And the symbolic uh, visual aspect of it is 
important to the sort of grand generosity of uh, the Harvest Feast as a concept. It's really symbolic. I mean, it's the time. They want to see who the Lord of Winterfell is that's keeping their land safe. (laughs) Ha 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 ha. These books are going to be so sad. Every single one of them. They just get sadder. Well, Roderick bellows for quiet. Bran greets his guests and raises his voice and bids them welcome in the name of his brother, the King in the North, and asks them to thank the gods, old and new, for Rob's victories and the bounty of the harvest. He raises his father's silver goblet to a hundred more, and many more cups follow in the crowd. Bran is drinking wine with honey, cinnamon, and cloves, stronger than he's used to, feeling his head swim. (sighs) That's a mood. Roderick tells him he did well, that Lord Eddard would be proud, and Lewin nods his agreement down the table. And then, and Courtney, I'm going to need you to lead us in on this, I think. The most important (laughs) part will be that the food arrives. Yes, the food arrives. Such food Bran had never seen. Course after course after course. So much he could not manage more than a bite or two of each dish. There were great joints of arcs roasted with leeks, Venison pies, chunky with carrots, bacon, and mushrooms. Mutton chops, sauced in honey and cloves. Savory duck, peppered boar, goose, skewers of pigeon and capon, beef and barley stew, cold fruit soup. Lord Wyman Manderley brought 20 casks of fish from White Harbor, packed in salt and seaweed. Whitefish and winkles, crabs and mussels, clams, herring, cod, salmon, lobster, and lampreys. There was black bread and honey cakes with oaten biscuits. There were turnips and peas and beets, beans and squash and huge red onions. There were baked apple pot apples. There were baked apples and berry tarts and pears poached in strong wine. Wheels of white cheese were set at every table, above and below the salt, and flagons of hot spice wine and chilled autumn ale were passed up and down the tables. Lord Wyman's musicians played bravely and well. But harp and fiddle and horn were soon drowned beneath a tide of talk and laughter, the clash of cup and plate, and the snarling of hounds fighting for table scraps. The singer sang good songs, iron lances, and the burning of the ships, and the bear and the maiden fair, but only Hodor seemed to be listening. He stood beside the piper, hopping from one foot to the other. The noise swelled to a steady rumbling roar, a great heady stew of sound. Okay, first off, just straight up because of the description of the food this is the best chapter in all of a song of ice and fire <laughs> that's it um that's all uh it's clever just because of the food that's it but also I, I i do love how encouraging rickon and lewin are they're fantastic uh very very supportive very great very honorable gracious uh guardians they also you know while we're thanking people who are at this feast and these boards want to say thank you for the seafood shipment Lord Wyman, uh, the hero of this chapter and the story. Uh, yes, um, the <laughs> it is quite a description of the food. Uh, although, actually, one of my favorite parts of this whole thing is when when uh, the musicians are described as playing bravely and well, <laughs> as if you'd ever need brave musicians. <laughs> ah, uh-huh. oh. There's a lot of foreshadowing in there. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> And only one person really listened, whose name is Walter, mm-hmm. by the way. Um, it's What could it mean? What could it mean? <laughs> uh, 
but again, to bring down the room, Wyman Manderley also amply supplies the wedding feast that we see in A Dance with Dragons that uh, Roos presides over. Uh, but the food is a bit more low rent. Um, it's not, uh, we're not talking like red wedding levels. Like nothing is like something that you read and think there is no way in hell I would ever eat that. Um, but it's it's like a much more low key. It's it's a casual barbecue. It's uh, it's mutton and ribs and cod cakes, not uh, luxury seafood <laughs> like uh, lobsters. Uh, the pies were better, though. Huh. <laughs> I bet they were buttery and flaky. Uh, <laughs> there's some great language in the drowning beneath a tide of talk and laughter and the clash of cup and plate, which I'm like, when is that book coming out? Sounds amazing. <laughs> and I love the, the iron lances, burning of the ships, and bear in the maiden fair are the songs that get played. And I would say they all kind of have a little bit of a northern... They could be about the North in a few ways, right? Like Iron Lances and the uh, the Great Iron, you know, Fist of the Glovers, for example. But the burning of the ships, mm -hmm. while it's definitely about Nymeria, like I'm very much sure that song is about Nymeria. It could also be about Brandon, right? Who burned all of his ships. And Ooh, then the bear in the main point. Bear. Yeah, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like there's kind of a connection going on with Brandon's ships and Nymeria's ships in a way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Nymeria obviously has the more exploded story that we know about, but Brandon's ships really have caught my interest this time through because it's not dissimilar. Yeah. Is that because his face was described as being dreamy when when they were in the crypts? Maybe. You know, I'm into a really sexy ship burner. I'm like, Nymeria or Brandon makes no difference to me. Into sexy arson. Yeah. Oh, oh my god, is this my problem? I am a fire oh sign. <laughs> uh, so Roderick and Lewin chat while Rickon screams happily at the Walters. Bran doesn't really want to be at the high table though, but Lewin reminds him that you're soon going to be family with them because Rob is going to marry one of their aunts and Arya one of their uncles. And Bran is like, "Whoa, I don't think I don't see that ever happening with Arya marrying one of their uncles." And I'm like, "It's like I do not believe." And you know what? Arya also does not believe. And to be honest, I think. Bran should just disbelieve both because neither of it comes true. Yeah, it works out really well for all of them. Everybody involved. Yeah, everyone's so happy. It's a. It's similar to what Arya says though when she hears that Sansa didn't get married, right? Or that Sansa married Tyrion. She's like, Sansa wouldn't marry Tyrion. She's like, come on. Yeah, she's like, I don't know. Sounds fake. The servers bring each dish to Bran first, who can take the Lord's portion if he wishes. But by the time they'd reach him, he's already pretty full of wine and food. He approves it with a nod, and if it's especially nice, he sends it to a lord on the dais as a gesture of friendship, which was suggested by Maester Lewin. He sent some salmon down to poor sad Lady Hornwood, the board of the boisterous umbers, a dish of goose and berries to Clay Kerwin, and a huge lobster to Joseph, the master of horse, who was neither lord nor guest, but had seen to dancers' training and made it possible for Bran to ride. He sent sweets to Hodor and Old Nan as well for no reason, but he loved them. Sir Roderick reminded him to send something to his foster brothers, so he sent little Walder some boiled beets and big Walder the buttered turnips. <laughs> I know that you love this. I, you've cited, I think, this passage many times throughout the course of this podcast, Chloe. And I think it's, I think it's cute that Clay gets a dish. Also, Joseph, you know, being... 
he he's been doing a lot for Bran. I I appreciate that Bran's thankful yeah. of that. But also, I will say Joseph is unconfirmed as dead, but is probably dead. Me more or less know that Hodor dies. Clay also dies. Old Nan is unconfirmed, but let's be real, she's probably going to die eventually during some point in the story. So I'm like, does everyone that Bran sends a dish to in this moment at this feast die? Like, not all the Umbers die, but a good number hey. of them seem to. Big Walder's going to make it. <laughs> He's going to make it. You think Big Walder's? I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think both the Walders could die eventually. You know, I, I think that's... That's the nature of a lot of what's going on in House Right. I think some will survive, but I think a lot of them will die. But yeah. Anyway, I'm just. Did Bran poison the future of everyone here? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only reasonable conclusion. I mean, he was at the feast. Uh, I actually particularly like that he sent lobster to Joseph. Like, um, of course, we'll see later, like, some of his other dish choices. But, um, you know, since the Starks don't live anywhere near the ocean um probably joseph has never seen a lobster because he's like the guy who runs the stables so this is like a huge luxury item that brand's like yeah i'm giving it to this guy because he has facilitated me being able to get around in a way that i thought i wasn't going to be able to um and that's another reason that he is my child thanks that is <laughs> our baby boy it's brand that's a good point they're yeah. very much in the very dead middle of the north. That's a great, yeah, that's a really good point. About, yeah. About the honor that he's given. Them. That's the kind of little kid he is. And I also want to say that I know that the fact that he sent beets and turnips to the Walders is supposed to be some kind of insult because <laughs> he didn't send them one of the fancier dishes, but um, beets and turnips are good. Fuck the haters. Yeah. Is George I do agree. not I like? Do agree. I want to ask that. I'm going to ask that. I'm like, George, like, you not, like... Not have a good beater I feel like that's a waste of a question. Like, he obviously doesn't. Uh, no, I don't think it like is. Him. I think in the context of, like, what this, what a harvest feast actually is, that, like, this is the last time we're all going to be able to, like, get together here. I mean, obviously, in, in this sense, the problem is that a bunch of them are going to die. But, like, in a general sense, in a place like the North, you have a feast like this, and then you don't see each other until the winter is over yeah. because travel becomes so difficult and you're not going to get any new food coming in your, your turnips and beets. Those are going to be lasting you <laughs> um, for a yeah. long time, but you're not always going to be able to get lobster. Yeah, yeah. The irony where you have Tom and just being like, I hate him, which, you know, cause he's a kid. Kids hate things cause their taste buds haven't quite developed yet. I hated things when I was a kid and now I'll eat anything. I'm crazy. Same. But <laughs> I mean, Tom and obviously is a kid, but also, look at the South, that they are so quick to say, bleh, bleh, gross. What do they know of winter, child? What do they know? <laughs> They're yeah, going to find them. out. They're going to find out. It does hit the whole country. Below, the men of Winterfell mix with small folk from Wintertown, friends from near Holdfast, escorts of their lordly guests. Some brand new, some he did not, but all of them kind of feel foreign to him. He watched them as from a distance, as if he still sat in the window of his bedchamber, looking down on the yard below, seeing everything, yet a part of nothing. I liked this line. It reminded me a little bit of A Storm of Swords in Aries 6, right? The, the last Aries chapter in the storm. As she's looking out upon Marine and wondering from afar if all the gods feel so lonely. 
Brand's about to be an old god, watching a lot of things from afar, but it, it that the isolation socially now is already really coming in. But besides the part where it has to do with him being on the days and also nine years old and therefore not great at small talk when it with adults, which is understandable. Our friend Warren on Discord also pointed out that Bran's disability, like as a consequence, leaves him isolated and with quite a lot of time alone. Georgia said that all the Stark children are wargs. This is very evident with Bran, not just through his bond with his wolf summer, but his wolf dreams are incredibly vivid and the sensations he experiences therein are very real. So there's a lot of things here that are kind of uh, acting as these barriers for Bran socially. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of a classic uh, lonely child um, uh, with a lot of uh, big thoughts in his head. <laughs> Can't relate. Yeah. You're, you're, that's right. <laughs> it kind of is a little bit like, you know, when you're the only child at the social gathering with uh, all the adults. And I mean, I guess Rickon's there, but he's much younger. The Wallers are there, but they suck. But it, it is very, it is reminiscent of that. That's what makes it so special when our special guests show up later, you know? Like, because it's like the first people that are also fucking weirdos, right? Like, they're so fucking weird. And he's like, dude, you guys too? Thank God. Thank God. Finally, some not normal people to talk to. Yeah. And I also think that this is sort of Bran beginning to like carve his Lord's face. Um, in the previous chapter where they were feasting people at Winterfell, the previous Bran chapter, um, it was like, oh, I when sorry, when uh, Rob uh, and his army were leaving, it's like, oh, I'm trying to memorize, you know, the face of every single person. And now some time has gone by and he knows some of those people are dead. And he's just like, maybe I maybe I can't do that. Maybe that's I'm, I'm going to be getting too close <laughs> because some of these people are not going to be here next year. Yeah. Sad times. Sad times. Osha serves the table ale. One of Leobald Tallhart's men tries to slide a hand up her skirts, and she smashes a flagon on his head to what are roars of laughter in the background. Micken has his hand down a woman's bodice, who's seeming to enjoy it. Farland teases his dogs with food. Old Nan plucks at a crust of pie. Lord Wyman attacks a plate of lampreys as if they were an enemy host sitting in a special wide chair, thanks to Roderick, and he laughs aloud and often, so Bran likes him. I love the language once more is starting to come back, just like that great passage before of all of the sound. Uh, I love how essentially the din gets louder and louder and just grows to where it's just like all of these adults shit show drunk, just drunk out of their minds. You know, like what you'd imagine at a bonfire, like they've just eaten all this great food, they're all getting fucked up, and... Once more, Bran is kind of separated in this world of, A, he can't participate because of many obvious reasons, his age, his abilities, etc., and B, he doesn't get it, right? Like, he really doesn't get it. This is a whole different world, and I do love that language pointed out, a plate of lampreys as if they were an enemy host. Uh, a little clever wordplay from Lord Lamprey later as he's insulted by many, and especially because he's kind of pretending to be on the fray side later before pinning an actual internal attack on them, though, that stood out, as mm -hmm. if they were an enemy host. So I definitely think that Wyman, the seeds for his his entire motives and his actions in A Dance with Dragons are starting to come out and clash. Yeah, absolutely love that. Love that little, like, nugget there. Or not nugget, I don't know, lamprey. Fish stick? Fish stick? <laughs> <laughs> 
You're fired. I haven't fired you in a while. You're fucking fired. I'm due. I'm due. But I, I just, I really like Wyman's presence in these chapters as well. Like, I like that Bran is seeing that even though, yeah, Wyman also has a special chair made for him, which, uh, kind of like how Bran has a special saddle made for him. And, you know, eventually, maybe one day someone will make him a wheelchair, all right? Someone will make him something that gives him some autonomy. Bran sees that Wyman is still finding joy in his life, right? And it's it's a good example for him to see. But also, funnily enough, the because Bran is so young, right? He doesn't quite understand the he doesn't quite understand the drunkenness aspect of it yet. You know, Tyrion, who's also not able-bodied, right? For him, drunkenness is actually a way that he he connects with people. But for Bran, it's a divider. Well, and Bran is drunk. This this poor True. kid is like. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's got to be a real scene <laughs> for, in his brain at this point. So poor Lady Hornwood sits behind Wyman, though. Her face is a stony mask, and she's just picking at her food. Oh, I'm glad you brought her up. <laughs> so I think you guys covered this really, really well last week and talking about like the absolute tragedy of Danella Hornwood and how she is entirely let down by this system of people just being interested in her as a conduit to get to this land that she holds title to. And um, I don't really have very much to add. Uh, It just uh, really sucks that she gave her husband and her only child to this cause. And their response was, "Uh, we'll figure out what to do with you eventually. And then she dies because they didn't figure out what to do with her. And they didn't take any time to even really try to figure out what to do with her. It sucks. But they're trying to do the exact same thing to her that Ramsay eventually does, not in the sense of, like, starving her, but in the sense of just being like, you have no agency, really, about um, who you're forced to share a bed with, who is going to be coming onto your property, who's going to take over that property after you die. Um, You just have to hope that some guy is going to come along that's not going to treat you too terribly. And it sucks. (laughs) It sucks what happened to her. Um, I I actually think the only other thing they really could have done in the moment was say, why don't you stay at Winterfell until we... uh, contact Rob and get his wisdom about this or whatever that at least would have staved off any immediate attempt to take her over um but yeah that makes me so I'm getting mad you just talking about it is making me mad man I'm getting real mad all over again I'm like oh I'm getting mad because it's like the bureaucracy fucking failed her yeah like what is this red tape that they just couldn't cut through in time they had time to do a couple of other deals last week on our episode I was there and then uh, it's funny because this only teaches Roos and Ramsey that they can go farther. Look at what they do with Jane and passing her off as Arya. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, if it was that easy just to take those lands? Like, it turns out fabricating claims is that easy in the North when there's no one ruling it. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. You could just lie. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, as you said, they could have kept her at Mirfal, though. Maybe she would have been unlucky and been there for when Theon gets there, too. Would have sucked. Well, <laughs> yes, that... They really couldn't have anticipated that Theon was going to come back and take over Winterfell. But I think of, like, the possible outcomes that they could have thought would maybe happen in that moment. 
the best option that they had was to say, stay here, even if that's just a pretext to not have her go back uh, with just her very small and tired looking six person guard. Yeah, I agree. Um, and also, I, I, and this is something that Chloe was saying in the previous episode and like upon listening to it again when I was at it. Yeah, like, as you said, the bureaucracy failed her and Rob should have empowered like the people who were ruling in his stead to 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 make these calls right i mean robert was well because what wisdom is he gonna have about it <laughs> no offense rob <laughs> yeah i mean like robert's a neglectful king right but ne- robert maybe too much to too much of it. he's the other extreme he let everyone else like make all of these very big legal decisions for him right like ned was empowered to do that a lot of other people were as well not that Roderick was hand or anything but if he he and Bran are ruling in that their stead, right? Like, they should have the power to fucking rule <laughs> and to actually do it, as as you were saying. So, I mean, that's the problem, right? Rob, brilliant war mastermind uh, in terms of the actual battles, terrible actual strategist. Well, and also lack of resources. I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? Uh, all of your manpower is down south. You don't have resources up top. You don't have political advisors that you have empowered and you don't have i mean if you can't trust them then what are you doing and uh and not just that but then thinking of like alisan's woman court in fire and blood right like that's why this portion of the rule was kind of important to have it was important to have someone in the background being able to do these kind of deals that you just didn't deem important or didn't make time for and and in regards to what you're saying about the manpower right that becomes painfully obvious Again, later this book, when Theon comes and takes it. But, I mean, they are stretched thin. They need to match the forces that are in the South that are being marshaled. It, it's hard, right? They're in a vulnerable position. But he's not the only one who makes that mistake, as we see yeah. with Storm's End and with Dragonstone. Yeah, it turns out labor is just really an issue in Westeros. And if only they would pay a living wage. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Well, we have a solution for that. It's called zombies. <laughs> so... At the other end of the table, the Umber brothers are playing a drinking game, slamming their horns together like they're jousting. Suddenly, it's too hot. It's too noisy. We've all felt this way at a party. They're all wasted. Bran's itchy in his clothes, and he wishes to be anywhere but here. That boy wishes to be at his bed with a makeup wipe, removing it with his eyes closed, putting some moisturizer on is what that boy wants. No, I'm just kidding. He wants to no, go to that, the Godswood, no, which wants. is basically... I mean... Girl, we've all been there, right? Like, just get me home, away from humans, to go be drunk in bed. It is cool in the godswood now. Steam is rising off the hot pools, and the red leaves of the weirwood are rustling. The smells are richer than here, and before long, the moon will rise, and my brother will sing to it. Whoa, 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 Bran. Bran. Branuel. What are you doing there? (laughs) Branuel. Branuel. (laughs) He just kind of dissociated for a hot second huh little bloop oh i'm in my wolf yeah it's kind of i think the equivalent of you know now that because we have felt this feeling as well scrolling scrolling on social media instead of being present at whatever family dinner or party a bit (laughs) yeah i i also think that the the skin changing experience uh, if if no one's there to like i don't know teach you how to do it which presumably most people don't have that. Um, I do think that moments of great stress kind of make those abilities come out. And that's kind of the point that Bran is at. 
and like obviously eventually he learns way more and he becomes like very conscious of uh skin changing his wolf but um at first he has no idea what's going on Roderick actually brings him out of that right he's like why don't you eat my prince and Bran's like I'm full which is I mean kind of true but also he wants something else I think to satiate himself with uh, and Roderick then once more is like, you've done really well. You're, you're going to be a great lord someday, Bran. He thinks to himself, I, I don't want to be a lord. I want to be a knight. And he takes a sip of the honeyed wine, feeling the snarling direwolf on the cup press into his palm and remembering the last feast his father drank the cup at when Robert had come and summer had reigned. Yeah, so this is a real Bran as Egg the Fifth moment. Um, another little boy who wanted to be a knight and ends up becoming a king. Uh, although I think Egg in the Fifth was also technically a knight. But the point is that it wasn't his ultimate fate. Like he had no interest in sort of the family business of being a Targaryen. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and nobody ever thought he would be. But eventually he did get roped into that. And um, I, I think that the whole like, story of like how egg in the fifth came to be king was actually revealed to us a few chapters ago or at least earlier in this book uh in a john chapter somewhere it's such a it's just like another dream of brands that he has had to put on hold maybe forever because uh of this thing that happened to him and I do also want to comment that it really means something that Bran is talking about like how amazing all of this food is and he's never been in a feast this amazing when the last feast he went to was literally they were, you know, fetting the king. Um, these people really, uh, they know how to party and they want to party with their own circle of Hell friends. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we bring out the good wine when the North is here. You know what I mean? The king, uh, he'll drink whatever. We know he'll drink whatever. We're bringing out the cheese wheels uh, for <laughs> well, this. Well, I mean, also because everyone came and they brought stuff, right? They're like, hmm, I don't really care that Robert yeah, visited. Yeah. Robert, if you wanted to feast well, you should have brought stuff. Yeah, I, I love what you're saying here about, about Bran and those parallels with Aegon V and great call on the structure of the book and, and that being introduced to the story. The, the, oh, I referenced this one way and then here comes the parallel amongst like one of our current characters. I really like the way he threads that in and the chapters right around, you know, just bringing a couple stories that tie together. Because as we're about to see, there's a lot of Dane mentions coming in in this, in this kind of area of the book. Bit by bit, we're starting to get a trickle of it. And I, I don't know, it's that gardening effect, I think. He's just sprinkling some seeds. He's like, let me just, a little bit in this chapter, we'll play it out for a while. I love it. Oh, huh, the Danes. I can't imagine what um, caused them to come up. Oh, yeah, Ashara's daughter and son are in this chapter. You'll, you'll see. Um, but oh, huh. I digress. <laughs> let me just bury the lead. So he remembers the royal family sharing the dais, including Marcella, who had spent the meal gazing at Rob, and Arya, who made faces at them when they weren't looking, and Sansa had listened to the high harpist, who had been singing songs of chivalry, and Rickon kept asking why Jon wasn't with them at the table, because he's a bastard, Bran had said. Good save here, Railroad, because I know you forgot to put uh, Bran in at the Harvest Feast in A Game of Thrones, but, or sorry, at the the King Robert welcoming feast in game in a game of Thrones. And, but you wanted to make it clear. Yeah. He was there guys. He was there. I kind of forgot he wasn't there. I didn't notice. Yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a great point. Great catch. Maybe he just went to bed early. He really doesn't describe the food that they had at that feast. 
Not sure how. I feel well, about also that. a lot of it is from John's perspective, right? And John's like yeah. yes. at the other table, and he's like, "I don't know what they <laughs> ate. No one sent me anything." Dad, why? <laughs> he's like, "Eat to live, not live to eat." And then he runs out in the middle of <laughs> dinner. He's like, "I'm emo. Uh, I'm a bastard. <laughs> I I'm more live to eat than eat to live." Sorry, yeah. John. We would never Same. work. Same. Yeah, and that's why he joined the Night's Watch. He's like, "I don't know. Food's like okay." Mids. Yeah. <laughs> Bran's pretty upset at all of this, though, because he's remembering that feast, and he's like, that was back when everyone was still here and not gone. He's like, everyone's gone or dead, even Uncle Benjen. Lower on the benches here, though, new men of Winterfell have kind of started popping up. Jory, Fat Tom, Porther, Alan, Desmond, Holin, Harwin, all are for, from, all are dead or gone south, even Septon Mordain and Vayne Poole. He likes the new men well enough, but they're not the old Winterfell guard. He misses his friends. Uh, there's a lot of things that Bran's story is carrying, a lot of different themes, but one of those, I think, is seeing him as the story of survivors, of the people who are left behind, right? Especially because so much of his story might have to do with that sort of remembrance. We see it happen with Bloodraven, as he remembers his own family. We see it happen with Aemon, remembering people, and... and there's sort of a survivor's guilt perhaps going on, but also, yeah, seeing all the people that you loved die. And, and it happens on a much shorter time scale for Bran than it does for Bloodraven. Because, like, obviously when you live to, like, a hundred-something years old for Aemon, people are going to die, right? For Bran, it, it, it's, a much more, it's a much more condensed timeline. Well, and I think also his world is so sheltered and so protected um, because that's something that Ned has really strived for with his children the absolute shock of his father dying is just like even just his father dying not to mention all of these other people is uh, how does a child even begin to understand yeah, that exactly. yeah i mean he painted him this whole entire canvas of a world to live in and now he's gone how do you exist outside of that and that's not even sheltering that is that is how it should be right that is what it should be yeah. People aren't supposed to lose their parents at nine years old, ideally, like when they're beheaded in front of everyone. And they're not supposed to lose all the people who were around them and who gave them that sense of home and companionship and have to Security. face yeah, a, a bunch of strangers in that time period. Like that's not that's not normal. Yeah, I mean exactly. war. It's maybe not what? good. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So he looks at all the faces on the benches. They're happy, they're sad. He's wondering who would be missed next year and the year after that, because these are very normal thoughts for children to be having. And he might have cried then, but, and then we have this quote of, he was the, he was the Stark in Winterfell, his father's son, and his brother's heir, and almost a man grown. And like, you're really not. This, you're really not. But you were you're being forced to be. to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, maybe this whole setup isn't that good. <laughs> Feudalism <laughs> is great. What are you talking about? Where they're like, I mean, okay, well, your father and your brother, they're out right now. So, like, you're just a little kid, but, um, I don't know, you're in charge. That's, how else could you're we do kid, it? You're you're in charge. You're in charge. You're the boss. You're just not allowed to say a single thing. I want to change the tone a little, you know? I want to get a little, a little happier. We were going down some dark alleyways, ladies. The door opens to the hall, distracting us from all of this depressing-ass shit. And Alebelly announces... 
the Lady Mira of House Reed and her brother, Jojen of Greywater. What? Yes, the crowd is going wild. The basketball's on the court. They're dribbling. Is anyone else hearing this? Is it just me hearing this in my head? No, okay. So, um, yeah, Lady Mira Reed, Dane Reed, and her brother, Jojen Dane Reed. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Howland might be a hyphen kind of guy. You know, my husband tried to do the hyphen. He's like, you want to do the hyphen? I'm like, no, we're not fucking doing a hyphen. I'm sorry. Did you mean your roommate? Sorry, the guy I live with. Oh, yeah. I told I told my guy that he was so welcome to take my name, but I wasn't taking this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it just felt like a lot of work to change all that. I don't know. Literally everything is in my name already. Oh, my God. It seems like a huge hassle. I'm just not about it. I, I, I mean, I, I don't mind if people call me by his interesting stuff. There's something I just want to call out is that Lady Mira is announced, right? The eldest daughter making her the heir to Greywater Watch. What, what are you what are you getting at here? It seems Chloe? that Greywater Watch would be passing <laughs> down to the lady of the house is kind of how it's highlighted here, that she is the lead, she's the lady, she is the respected. Is that a certain type of succession that they're following that's different than everywhere else? Because to me, that almost sounds like Dornish succession. Hmm. I mean, could it just be that Jojen knows he's not going to make it to be the lord? <laughs> I think it's both. Like, I think it is. It, I would not be surprised if the reeds do follow a different succession, like a different form of primogenitor, right? Like, that, that does seem like it could be in line for them. But I will say also, I mean, they're not going to have a choice, right? Just to be an asshole about it. <laughs> Yeah, that's true too. I don't know. Just seems interesting. Something seems fishy. Or froggy. Yeah, I don't know. Very interesting. Very interesting. Probably not going to see any references to the Danes coming up whatsoever. Mm. Certainly not in this chapter. Mm. What does it mean? What does it all mean? Why are they only brought up when he... Anyways. Just thinking about knights. (sighs) Bran hears little Walder mutter frog eaters to Big Walder, and Roderick hurries to his feet to welcome the reeds to share the feast, the harvest. Serving men hurry to lengthen the table, and up they go, which I thought was great. Rickon is like, who are they? And Little Walder says, they are mud men, thieves, cravens with green teeth due to eating frogs. Okay, first of all, fuck these phrases. Fuck these phrases, especially specifically. Everything that he said is about them, except they probably don't eat frogs because they have no palate and do not like food. And all frogs just taste like chicken. And also, uh, it's George doing the showing, right? Instead of telling the rivalry between the houses. Yes, the squires. Of course, we'll hear about the Night of the Laughing Tree from the Reed perspective eventually. But, like, I do wonder how is that tale being passed around uh, at the twins? Probably not great. Probably not as good. They probably don't talk about it. They probably make themselves look like heroes because they're assholes. <laughs> I just think they're like, this is a this is a terrible story. Let's just never talk about it. They're like, that was really embarrassing for us, huh? Bury it. <laughs> yeah. Lewin crouches beside Bran, telling him he must greet these guests warmly. They didn't expect them to show up, but they did. And also Howland Reed was a great friend to his father, and these two are his children. I you know, again, I, I love that Lewin and Roderick are like they are very honorable. They're very respectful and courteous to to the reed. They they show them a lot of reverence, and they're not like weird assholes about it. 
Bran watches the newcomers, noting that the girl with... Oh, and says Helen Reed was a great friend to his father and that these two are his children. Bran watches the newcomers, noting that the girl wears lambskin breeches and a sleeveless jerkin covered in bronze scales. She's near Rob's age, but she's slim as a boy, with long brown hair and a woven net on one hip, a bronze knife on the other, and she carries an old iron great helm spotted with rust under one arm, a frog spear and a shield strapped to her back. This old iron great helm really stood out to me this time because it's spotted with rust under one arm. Uh, where she's holding it, she's like, oh, there's rust on it. So what? how old? How old is this helm? Is it like, I don't know, 20 years old, maybe? I mean, does iron rust after 20 years of no use? It makes me wonder if it was Howland's helm. Maybe he wore it at the Tower of Joy, even. I don't know, I've really never thought about this helm, but it feels like a token of Howland's friendship and a secret. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this, and I wonder if it's supposed to be the helm that Lyanna wore when she was the Knight of the Laughing Tree. I do think it's maybe important that the reeds have some memento of Lyanna Stark, um, because Howland is one of the only people who knows the true parentage of Jon Snow. And, you know, maybe he and I kind of assume Benjamin knows and Ned had some sort of agreement to, you know, hey, someday when we need proof, this is what we're going to do. And that they may have preserved something of her memory. And now here's Mira showing up with this. And I actually kind of think that later on when they explain the tale of the Night of the Laughing Tree and Bran's like, what's this? Never heard of it. Mira was probably like, well, what are we supposed to do now? <laughs> he didn't know. I, I had the, the I had the hat ready to go. Yeah, we brought props. Uh, and, and this kid was just like, oh, wow, cool story. Who's it about? <laughs> That's my new headcanon for sure. And it has to be the helm that she wore as Night of the Laughing Tree. Possibly one, that might be the one thing he gave to them, you know, because it was cobbled together from all sorts of bits they all had. Yeah, I love that. I love that theory that it's it's Liana's helm. I really like that. I also, I don't know, I'm like kind of nervous about it because I'm like, is Mira using this? Like, what are we doing with this? Like, tetanus? They don't have tetanus shots. So I'm like, what's (laughs) going on here? No, I'm I'm legitimately worried. Oh my god. I mean, it's probably not jagged, so they're probably not going to cover themselves on it. Dangerous. I think they're going to be okay. You know, she carries a frog spear. Well, we know spear. it's not going to hurt Jojen. Yeah, some skeletons jumping out of the ground are um, what's going to get him. <laughs> Her brother is younger, and he wears no weapons. He wears green. Even his boots are green, and his eyes are the color of moss, though his teeth are just as white as anyone else's. They're slight of build, slender as swords, scarcely taller than Bran himself. They're, wait, they're slender as swords? Yeah. What kind of sword? Uh, no, I no idea. Maybe one forged from the heart of a falling star. Dark, dark sister. Who knows? It could be dark anything. Dark sister kind of sword. I mean, Mira wields dark sister as one of my. It's true. Really want that to it's happen. It's gonna happen. Only the very coolest people should be killing others, and <laughs> only the very coolest people. Uh, if there's anyone, you're Sam's. You're Mira. If there's anyone that gets a happy ending ish, or at least gets to live, which might be a happy ish or horrible ending, truly. What do you think about it? Because who knows the shit they're going to see in the next couple books. But I hope Mira is it. And before they give their amazing speech, fucking shining twin ass, crazy, weird, alien, homeschool ass little fuckers. <laughs> I love them. They're 
they just show up and they're so real, you know, like, listen, as a Pisces moon, Aries sun, Virgo rising, I don't really love small talk either. I just get to the weird stuff right away. So I really respect that. But back to how Jojen's described as green and weird and wonderful, uh, his eyes, there's something later on that'll come up where he talks about how he had a fever. He had the great fever. And when he woke his eye, he, you know, his, his, his eye was open. His big third eye was open. But there's a great theory, and I wish I knew who had made it. It's old. It's got to be from, I don't know, like 2013 or something. But someone made a theory about his eyes turning from the fever and turning green. And that beforehand, they weren't that color. So I thought that was really interesting. I'm always a sucker for eyes changing color theories since genetics really don't matter in this story. Like, they only do sometimes, and then they don't. Uh, but the green eyes are really interesting because you know what? They're tertiary colors. Green eyes? You take a mossy green and just invert that shit? It's purple, and it's like, why are they gemstone colors of eyeballs in this series that are the magical ones? I guess we haven't really seen... I mean, we have Arya who goes blind and has magic that way as well. But purple eyes and then this moss green color of eyes are the ones that seem to come from some sort of magic in the world of ice and fire. The Cranog men of old, most of them had the green sight. Most of them had their mossy, mossy green, very concentrated eyes. And then you have the Great Empire of the Dawn with their purple eyes as well as the Valyrian purple eyes. Uh, so, like, does magic just show up only in beautiful, dazzling eyes? Is this a thing, George? I mean, maybe it's an indicator of a certain kind of sight. <sighs> maybe. Maybe so. Interesting, though, that it goes through the eyes with the sight. But if you take the Dane sigil and you just invert the colors on it, do you know what it turns into, folks? From the, the purple and gray-white? Turns into green and black. Hmm. What could it mean? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, for, the, for that kind hmm. of mossy green, yeah. That desaturated version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like, who has a green and black sigil? Uh, could it be a gator <laughs> with its tail showing up in his mouth? Huh. Yeah. It could, could be. It be? I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying that if Jojen and Mira Dane Reed took their own sigil, like Bran <laughs> and the, the phrase like to do, maybe they'd want to invert it to be their mother's colors with a, a white, a gray white, Cranog, uh, what, a lizard lion or a lizard. I don't think it's a lizard. Whatever the fuck they are. With a gator. It could be a dusky violet with a white-gray gator on it. Or they could go the opposite way, and it could be a sword crossed with a falling star, black on a field of moss green. Sword and the moss green could be interesting, with a fighting for spring, the dawn. Yeah. These are the swords that guard life against the war, it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, I'm really excited to be here, and I was really excited when you guys asked me to come and talk about this chapter, which I have mentioned in the Discord several times as one of my favorites, but but the true privilege, <sighs> the true privilege is to be here at the moment when Hashara officially enters the narrative. Yeah, this is, I mean, it's the first part, <laughs> truly. You don't really get, I mean, you get mentions of Ashara in A Game of Thrones, right? And it's actually really peppered in in A Game of Thrones. Cersei puts it at Ned and really is like, oh, guilt trip on Ned about it. Uh, 
But this is kind of where you actually get more Dane imagery in this chapter when it comes to Arthur. I mean, Arthur doesn't get a ton of explanation until Clash. Oh yeah, that's right. They do bring in Arthur. That is interesting. Yeah, those those connections are starting really early, right from the right from the get go, or not get go. Lizard Lion, sorry. And there will be more soon. Get ready. My lords of Stark, the girl said, the years have passed in their hundreds and their thousands since my folk first swore their fealty to the king in the north. My lord father has sent us here today to say the words again for all our people. She is looking at Bran realized. He had to make some answer. My brother Rob is fighting in the south, but you can say your words to me if you like. To Winterfell we pledge the faith of Greywater they said together. Hearth and heart and harvest we yield up to you, my lord. Our swords and spears and arrows are yours to command. Grant mercy to our weak, help to our helpless, justice to all, and we shall never fail you. I swear it by the earth and water, said the boy in green. I swear it by bronze and iron, his sister said. We We swear swear it by by ice ice and and fire. fire, they finished together. And Bran, of course, does not know how the fuck to respond to that. He's like, what the fuck is this oath? And he finishes. May your winters be short and your summers bountiful. He said, he's like, that That sounds good. That's not good. He's like, you know, that's a, that's a passing grade <laughs> right there. And yeah, so I thought it was interesting that they come in and they say they're swearing fealty to the king in the north, and Bran says, like, that should be Rob, but they don't, like, really correct him or respond. So I'm like, did, did either Howland or Jojen already know about what Bran's fate is becoming king? Though not necessarily in the north, but a king who happens to maybe be in the north at this moment, I guess? I don't know. Uh, I wonder, maybe that's the true northern conspiracy this whole time. I love the breakdown of it, though, because, I don't know, I think, I mean, some of it's really obvious. You have some ideas like the earth and water representing the children of the forest, the bronze and iron maybe representing the first men, and then, of course, the ice and fire, which makes it sound a little bit like the Pact of Ice and Fire, right? It feels like a huge overarching part of this entrance into his arc. And we'll talk a lot about this in A Storm of Swords, too. Uh, It's really hard not to. I feel like this chapter goes hand in hand with Storm of Swords, too. But Howland went to the Isle of Faces before the tourney at Harrenhal, right? Uh, Mira tells him that Howland had wanted to know the magics of the Craneggs, and he wanted more than just here. So he traveled, which their people never travel. Craneg men do not travel that often. So he went out when he became a man at age... 16 probably and decided that he'd leave the Cranigs and visit the Isle of Faces. And Bran's like, no one's ever gone there. The green men, like, that's where they live. No one just goes there. And she's like, yeah, he went there. He wanted to meet the green men. That's who he wanted to meet. And then back in A Game of Thrones, we have this tidbit from Lewin. He said, the wise of both races prevailed and the chiefs and heroes of the first men met the green seers and wood dancers amidst the weirwood groves of a small island in the great lake called God's Eye. There they forged the pact. The first men were given the coastlands, the high plains and the bright meadows, the mountains and the bogs, but the deep woods were to remain forever the children's, and no more weirwoods were to be put to the axe anywhere in the realm. 
so the gods might bear witness to the signing, every tree on the island was given a face, and afterward the sacred order of green men was formed to keep watch over the Isle of Faces. Uh, their oath feels very rooted in the Isle of Faces. Ha <laughs> ha, rooted in those trees. Yeah, I'm rooting for them. And I think there's so much more magic in Howland's plot to come that maybe, I mean, it does seem that Howland has seen a bit of what's to come in sending his children off to war. I personally am of the belief that we will see Bran probably meet Howland at mm. some point or speak with Howland. Maybe not even meet him on the physical plane, maybe the astral plane, but... Interesting. I'm yeah. curious to see how that Brand goes. Bran doing stuff on the astral plane. That's, that's something I yeah. want to see. <laughs> hey, I ate your son. <laughs> <laughs> that's a... Yeah, that's, that's one way to... I, I ate your son. I have a crush on your daughter. Hi. It all, I mean, I do... Part of me really wants. I want to say that I talked about this actually with uh, the boys over at Nauticast during this chapter, but I, I think one of my kind of like had dreams is that maybe Bran takes Jojen's bones home or comes to tell him. And I mean, he already knows. First of all, he's already seen it, right? He's like, go give your body to this boy king prince. But uh, he knew, but I, I feel like it could be, oh my God, what a tragedy, right? Like, Mira coming home empty-handed, no no Jojen, and just as they see her walk up finally and find the place once more after they've probably moved again, they probably just see her walking up alone and they just know. Oh, they just know. Ugh. These bones Ugh. were delicious. Crispy or grilled? <laughs> what if it's because because of Jojen's blood that if he puts him on, I don't know, spiritual plane, that creates that connection? I don't know. But also, I like the idea that they do meet in person. They have to, because, like, with John. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I would actually prefer, I think that John should go see Howland by the end of the series, and I think that would be a great one-off chapter. I think Bran might speak to him in the physical plane, but I would much prefer John, because I do think if there was an Ashara reveal to be had, it would be there, right? Like, you wouldn't get, you wouldn't actually get a full reveal george might be playful he might just be like and howland's little wife with her purple eyes what her laughing purple yeah. eyes. yes exactly because only he sees them that way yeah yeah that, them eyes gotta laugh <laughs> um i mean the thing that i really wonder about the meeting between the reeds and bran is like you know what what does Mira think about this? Like Jojen, it sort of seems like he accepts that this fate is waiting for him. Um, but like, I can't imagine what, well, because I don't have any siblings, uh, but I can't imagine what it would be like to, to be like, I met this kid and I know that my only sibling is going to die for this kid's cause. And I have to facilitate that. How could you do it? I mean, she does it. So somehow she knows that it's the thing to do but man i'd really be sizing that kid up <laughs> yeah actually that's a great point i wonder if that comes up later in the story right like because a lot of a lot of the story is like other people forcing other people who are not themselves to to sacrifice themselves what if like vera has sort of like a it, it serves as a sort of response to that it is like what if 
you who are willing to sacrifice yourself, what if I do not let you? Or something like that. I won't let you do this thing and give yourself up. Surgeon's like, I mean, that's fate, right? And and that's a lot of what the story is to an extent as well, right? You have it with Daenerys, and you have it to an extent with Arya and 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 with uh Beric Dondarrion, that idea of I'm not going to let you die. Um also in regards to the to the bronze and iron, not just the first men. The bronze was initially the first men. And then the Andals came with their stronger iron, so it's kind of like, is it like a ruling thing, right? Ruling over the first men and and the new one came in later. In the, the Andals, Andals yeah. yeah. And I guess, you know, they don't bother bringing up the Roinar. They're like, I don't know, that's later on. Water will cover that, whatever. <laughs> I almost wonder if this is the coronation, like what's yeah. set at the coronation for the kings in the north of mm. old and what was actually said maybe during when they were anointed because in the south we know that there's a big anointing and you get the seven oils and you have to swear your vows when you're king as well as like when you're a knight maybe this is the north's coronation vows yeah because they did eventually adopt of course the iron right like we see it in their crown yeah interesting well brand bids them to rise because he's like, this was very strange and awkward, and introduces himself. The boy stares at him, which does not make it less awkward, and says that they brought gifts of fish, frog, and fowl, and Bran thanks him, wondering if he would need to eat the frog to be polite, which, just do it, it's fine. Um, And also, I'm like, you know, with the significance of all of those elements and, like, those very distinct things earlier, is this also significant somehow? Like, a mixing of the elements, like fishes and water, frogs between both, but the fowl, fowls are, like, kind of, like, in between also ish you know they're not flying birds so it's not i mean air. the 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 earth the earth the sea and yeah. the sky but fowls don't like all really fly that because i was like trying to look it up i was like are fowls a special kind of bird and apparently they are well i guess some do i think ducks are fowl right those fly those fly they're like a special shape of bird specific borbier mm. borb <laughs> they're a little borbier than your usual breed yes they're maximally yes. borbed. Oh my god. Yes. No, uh. but actually. And this kind of seems <laughs> the like their luxury too, right? Like this is the best that they can offer from the neck, from the Cranogs. Yeah, I think This in, is their special meal. In like in the real world real world Cranog esque, right? And when it comes to in the bayou area of Louisiana, etc. I I obviously fish probably and frog to some extent, but you know, duck, right? Fowl. Uh, and by fowl, I mean the with the W, duck is delicious. It's a common, it's a common food you'll see in some of their recipes. We love duck. We were talking about duck before the we started recording. <laughs> I mean, maybe the idea is just that those three things, you know, encompass sort of the full range of what is on offer in the neck. That that we're we're not. We're we're in the water. We're in the skies. We're on the ground. We're doing everything. We're all over. Yeah, we're world I'm world I mean. Yeah, exactly. Prestige, <laughs> prestige. Uh, Bran tries to remember what he knows of the Cranog men. That they dwell in the bogs of the neck. They're homebodies. They're poor fishers, frog hunters. They live in houses of thatch and woven reeds on floating islands in the depth of the swamp. He remembers. 
They're sometimes called cowardly people, that they fight with poisoned weapons and prefer to hide from foes rather than face them in open battle. But, at the same time, he remembers Howlin was one of his father's staunchest companions during Robert's Rebellion before Bran was born. He's really trying to remember that story. He's like, I feel like there's something comes up eventually but as we see by the loyalty shown by the reeds the Cranach men really are not cowardly at all they're like all right we're gonna do it we're gonna cross the wall we're gonna do all the things they they just don't fit the norm of westerosi masculinity which which are a trap anyway and therefore people think that's craven okay but i don't see them hunting any lizard lions yeah i agree uh alligators so... are so scary <laughs> maybe <Yeah>. step off <laughs> I had a bad dream about one just like a month ago. Yeah, it was, I don't even remember it now. I think I actually put it in the Discord. I'll go look it up later, but I I was very horrible. Like, it was a very real dream. They're scary, but they're also amazing. Yeah, I'm worried about, like, you know, if you're ever down there, right? You gotta be, watch out. Like, if you fall into those waters, like, they grab you, they spin you around, you know? Terrifying. They're smart. Yeah, they are. Uh, Once they get you in their mouth, there's not much getting you out. Though people who do have pet ones, you probably shouldn't have a pet alligator, but the alligators seem... No. They can be nice, apparently. Uh, But, (laughs) anyways. PSA from Eliana, I am not suggesting that you have a pet alligator, but if you do... I'd like to meet it. (laughs) I'm not saying you should have a pet alligator, but I'm saying, like, having, for example, if your demon were an alligator, very cool for you. Very cool for you. I think that would be very cool. Um... Also, we, we don't get the in-depth yet, but they're talking about how the Greywater Watch, right? We know that it moves around. And it, it is Howl's moving castle. I, I think this is a reference. His name's yes. Howl, and it literally moves. That's it. Yeah. I mean, I actually just rewatched for this episode yeah. last night just for this purpose, because I love it. It is Howl's moving castle. Uh, Jojen asks where the direwolves are, and Rickon says they're in the godswood, that Shaggy was bad. Mira says Jojen would like to see them, and Walder pipes up, little Walder, and he's like, well, you better hope they don't see you, because they might take a big bite. And Bran's like, not if I'm there. He's actually pleased. He's very excited that they want to see them. Yeah. I love that Bran's excited that they want to see the dogs. Uh, it also reminds me, to an extent, it's a little different, you know, dogs and your dead sister, but... It, it reminds me a little of Ned being happy to hear that Robert wanted to visit and see Liana's crypt. Everything I reminds mean, me. I of think Liana. that it's a, I, I think it's a nice little clue that um, something's going on with these with these kids because it's not like there's any way they would really know that the Starks have ha- have these direwolves. I don't think they sent out a newsletter. The, I don't think, I think they sent Raven out to be now. like, yeah. we've got new pets. <laughs> Wait, what if people what if people did that? We should we should normalize that as a society when you get a new pet. You know how people send out, we have a new baby. You should do that with that. <laughs> I mean, I'm bad doing. I don't know what your issue is. <laughs> That's true. Sorry, sorry. Uh it's a sign of respect, right? Like they're respecting them, which goes right back to that beginning of the chapter when Lewin and Roderick were like, "No, you you have to wear the the Stark direwolf because that's who you are." Bran is super curious about that. Oh, sorry. That's why whenever I go to your place, I'm like, where are Allie and Jake? I want to pet them, them and pay my them. respect. Yeah. Show respect. <laughs> Brand's curious about the reeds. He had never met a Cranic men, and his father, he remembers Ned had sent letters to the Greywater Watch before, but they had never come to Winterfell. 
The hall is super noisy, so it's getting hard to hear anyone, and Bran kind of makes his final rounds. He asks Roderick, do they truly eat frogs? And Roderick's like, yeah, frogs, fish, lizard lions, all sorts of birds. Bran wonders if they don't have sheep and cattle there, and he commands his serving men to bring the Cranog men oryx, mutton chops, and beef and barley stew, which they seem to like. The girl catches Bran staring, and she smiles. He blushes and looks away. So, so him asking, do they not have these, and sends them the things that are rare, that reminds me of what Courtney just said earlier, of how Joseph, likely, being very far inland, has never really tasted lobster, and him being sure to give people who are awesome great culinary experiences yeah exactly exactly just another uh, just another tick in the why is why is brand good <laughs> uh box yep yep that's our boy check mark <laughs> later once the sweets are served and washed down with summer wine and food is cleared the tables are pushed back and it's time for dancing and let me tell you these people can party <laughs> they're they're clearing off the bits of bone um so they can dance so you know they have had a hell of a time the music grows wilder and hother umber brings forth this huge curved war mm-hmm. horn banded in silver and when the singer reached the part in the night that ended where the night's watch rode forth to meet the others in the battle for the dawn, he blew a blast that set all the dogs to barking. Wow, what does it mean? Oh, by the way, speaking of footnotes in the iBooks Enhanced edition of this, there's a footnote here that's like, hey guys, we know the night's watch didn't exist until after this, okay? But it's in the song. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very like, I didn't screw up here, okay? <laughs> this is just how they do it. <laughs> yeah, the, the war horn banded in silver. That feels significant. Yeah, it definitely feels once more like George playing with some of these ideas of what he wants to do in the future books. Uh, it also reminds me of, of the hounds, right? Starting to fight, starting to scream. Not unlike. God, wasn't it, didn't Simeon Star Eyes fight the hounds, the hellhounds? Or sorry, he visited the night fort where the hellhounds were fighting, it said in the old, you know, songs or whatever. So it makes me wonder, A, is this supposed to be that at the night fort, the night that ended? Yes, it's the watch going forward, not Simeon, but very interesting. And not only that, but of course the horn. What will happen with that horn? Will it crumble down the walls? The old walls, we just don't know. And again, there's so much in all of these songs and all of these moments where they're all dancing and the, the language is very different, right? It's very like, oh, suddenly there's a euphemism about what could possibly be happening in our story, which I love. <laughs> love when George does that. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I actually like the most about the way <laughs> Martin writes is how it seems like he's doing all these things that are very, very subtle. And then like you go back on a reread and you're like, oh no, he was like punching me in the face with yeah. this, <laughs> with how much this is true. <laughs> and, but now I get it. It's kind of funny. Oh, I see. Uh, there's so much that sticks out now on second, eighth, 20th, whatever reads where I'm like, what? Wait, when did he say this? Uh, and I think it's clever because it's <laughs> stuff that you literally, your eyes gloss over, your brain glosses over purposefully. Two Glovermen begin a spinning skirl on Bladder and Woodharp. Moores is the first to jump to his feet, 
Seizing a passing serving girl and knocking the flagon of wine out of her arms, he whirls her, spins her, tosses her in the air. Clothes soon join in. Hodor dances by himself. Wyman asks Bath Castle to partner with him. He moves actually quite gracefully. When he's tired, Clay Kerwin steps in to dance with Beth. Roderick approaches Lady Hornwood, but she makes her excuses and takes her leave. <laughs> so sad because then she dies. Yeah, you know, I... Sorry, I have to bring up Lady Hornwood again. But I, I think that this is sort of a comparison to how, as Rob is about to be crowned, we know that Catelyn is thinking, I failed. I tried to um, subtly suggest, uh, don't do this because we're all going to be screwed if we do. But it has nonetheless happened. And now, here we go. And I feel like Lady Hornwood tried to say, not just, um, I would like to slide into Roderick's DMs, but she, I think, subtly tried to suggest, hey, these guys are already trying to come in and take over my whole situation and I need something done about this now. And she gets basically told, how soon is now? <laughs> how about later? I don't know. Sad times. Uh, it's just sad to see like what could have been things like that and <sighs> lack of happiness. <laughs> so Bran watches for as long as he has to in order to be polite, but he wants to get out of there. So he summons Hodor. He's hot, he's tired, he's flushed with the wine, and the dancing makes him sad because it's something he could never do. Hodor kneels for him to get in the basket, which Lewin and Hayhead help with. Shout out to Hayhead. Don't see enough of Hayhead. Some of the guests, <laughs> some of the guests who've never seen this are more curious than polite. What a nice way of putting it. And Bran feels the stairs. They go out the rear of the hall through the Lord's door. That's what I call it, too. Sorry. <laughs> Not the money. I'm sorry. <laughs> God. Uh, Find Jesus. Both of you. I'm sorry. It's <laughs> it's an innuendo-filled passage. Something is filled, say. and it's definitely a passage. <laughs> the passage. There's, Something's there's coming in and out of that passage. Man. We're worried, not talking about anything sexual. Anyway, Bran comes across Joseph, the master of horse, who is engaged in riding not a horse, but a woman. Hodor stops to watch, and Bran tells him to leave them be and take them to his take him to his bedchamber. Um, the not a horse oh podcast. <laughs> Sorry. Oh God. There are, there are just so many constant triggers, though, to get Bran to remember what happened in the tower before he fell. That's so sad. But he doesn't need that now. He's got to put that away. Just put it away, kid. Wait until therapy is invented in Westeros, and then you can start talking about this. <laughs> uh, but once upstairs, uh, he tells Hodor to return to the feast, but please do not go bothering Joseph and that woman. Please just let Joseph enjoy the Lord's passage. It is Lord's not November Lord, you know? for Joseph. <laughs> well, you know, yes, you guys have discussed a lot. Like, what exactly does Bran understand about like what sex is? And like, he he's he sees two people having sex. He knows something is going on, and that he shouldn't just let Hodor stop and watch them. 
but he doesn't totally get what's happening. You know, what's kind of funny is that he gets it, though, when it's an animal because of probably because of his skin changing. I'm not kidding. Like, he probably on one level understands it, but doesn't on a human level. He doesn't understand fucking on a human level, just on an animal level. Interesting. And maybe that's how it is also for a lot of us, too. Yeah. You know? Uh, Yeah. Do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. He is too young (laughs) for that eye to awaken, let me tell you. The music drifts through his window, and Brand's reminded of something his father told him once. He had asked him if the Kingsguard were the finest knights in the Seven Kingdoms, and his father said they no longer were, but once they were a shining lesson to the world. He asked Eddard if there was one better than all, and there was. Who could it be? <laughs> hey, was it me? The finest knight I ever saw was Sir Arthur Dane, who fought with a blade called Dawn, forged from the heart of a fallen star. They called him the Sword of the Morning, and he would have killed me, but for Howland Reed. Father had gotten sad then, and he would say no more. Bran wished he had asked him what he meant. He went to sleep with his head full of knights in gleaming armor, fighting with swords that shone like starfire. But when the dream came, he was in the godswood again. Yeah, remember when Ned Stark basically said that Arthur Dane was muscled like a maiden's fantasy? I'm just saying, it happened. Ned is hot for these men. He's like, damn, yeah. hot fighters. Yeah. Uh, I get it. He loves chivalry. He loves chivalry, <laughs> just loves it. That's his favorite passage to read up and down and left and right. There aren't very many knights in the North, and sometimes we just want what we can't have. <sighs> Good for him, you know? If that's what he's into, that's what he's into. Yeah. Okay. Beyond the uh beyond this beautiful, beautiful relationship we're budding in our heads about them. Again, it's tying the stories together, right? This is the accidental Lord Stark taking back the familial sword to the crying sister who threw herself into the ocean asterisk. But Howland Reed was there this time. A new flavor to add to the story. So now we have a mystical pact, a magical sword, and tragedy between two families? The tragedy of Jojen and Mira in Howland, that Jojen has these green dreams, much like his father had, that Jojen knows his own fate and marches toward it. And there's almost something to be said in that, right? That sadness, because it almost makes you wonder what if Ashara Dane knew that her brother was marching to his death too? And when they returned the sword, what if she had already kind of known? That sadness in Howland and Arthur, how... The small green boy somehow takes down Westeros' finest knight, and how Ned isn't impressed. He isn't proud of it. He's sad. There's so much unsaid in this story that I can't wait for it to unfold. For example, when we eventually find out that Howland Reed threw a net over Arthur Dane, and that's how Ned was able to kill him. Right? That It has to be that, Bug right? Bugcatcher Howland. Oh my god. Bugcatcher. Yeah, maybe. Or, like, I don't know, do you think he's, like, skin changed? But I don't know if he's, like, able to do that. He's probably not strong enough. It's probably a net. It's a net. I mean, he could have distracted him by forcing him to eat a frog, but I feel like Mm, it's going to be the net. That would distract me, too. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Nets are difficult. They're, like, very tricksy. Net start. Um, Well, and you're swinging a a sword around, and then suddenly it's, like, tangled up. I'm just saying that this, this... I'm saying that the net is like 
use as an example of how these people are weak or uh, cowardly or they don't know how to fight. But like when the moment comes where it's like either I do something right now or my friend is dead. Yeah. Alan Reed decisively goes for I'm throwing a net over this guy. I'm sorry, but this is how it has to be. Does he throw We're not it or having like, fun could here? He, could he like also set a trap with it, right? Like the the nets, because we hear that they're good at traps and sort of this guerrilla warfare mm-hmm. style of like fighting. So, but like I do think a net is part of it. Like I think there's something like good there of like turning that idea of what seems like weakness on its head. I mean, in the next chapter, literally, they trap Summer. They trap Summer with the net, and Summer's oh, right. unable to get out in they the very do. next chapter. So that's actually mm-hmm. like I'm not even kidding. It's not just I'm a suspicious. shit post. It could have been a net. Well, yeah, and I I think it's also an example of the idea of everybody has an ability that is useful. Mm -hmm. You can't just throw people away and be like, you don't fit this specific thing, so there's no place for you. Yeah, Uh, That net came in real handy at that moment. And that's really (laughs) relevant in Brand's plot. You were talking about uh, Ned, you know, bringing back... Arthur Dane's bones. Well, he doesn't, right? right? He buries them all there. But like that idea of bringing back, I guess, Arthur Dane's uh, sword, sword, whatever, to to Ashara. Is that maybe kind of like another Stark bringing back Jojen's bones bones too? Exactly. Precisely. Well, and it's certainly a contrast to the way Tywin Lannister behaves when he gets a hold of ice. Yeah. That Ned Stark does an honorable thing. By By rights, he could have taken that sword. But yeah. instead, he turned it back over to the Danes uh, because it was an important symbol of their family. Mm-hmm. And, like, there's also some kind of mystical magic in, like, well, who gets to wield this Only sword? Arthur can pull that sword um, out of the stone, you guys. I'm sorry. I mean, that's yeah. literally the big joke <laughs> exactly. about the sword, right? It has to be claimed. Sure. Ned couldn't activate its magic, yes. just like, as Eliana has pointed out, Stannis couldn't activate the magic glowing table. <laughs> In Dragonstone. Yeah, apparently it's just candles. I was going to say, is it like, you know, he, he didn't choose to take the sword in the same way that, you know, Bran doesn't choose to eat the rest of the bones. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's an illustration of like how, how Tywin tries to front like, mm. oh, well, when your enemies are on their knees, you have to help them back to your feet. But then he just like cuts their legs out from under them. <laughs> Uh, whereas the, I mean, it's true. Yeah, no, no, um, true. Those are just words. But in the case of Ned Stark's behavior, he's like, the war is over. We won, but I don't have to humiliate you. It's enough that you've lost this member of your family. Here is this important uh, symbol to your family. I'm returning it to you. Especially as someone who has felt the loss of his brother. Of course. Yeah, I mean... That's the kind of honor I think a lot of people, and maybe it's just like big brain, like show shit has ruined us all. Any TV show has ruined us all. You know, like our brains are not meant to consume this much screen time. I don't think (laughs) as we're consuming these days, but like, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, not very faithful chatter about Ned's honor getting him killed. And like, no, this is Ned's honor. I think you're all confusing what his honor truly means. Right? Like, his mm-hmm. honor is this kind of thing. Like you said, he could have taken that sword. He could have been like, I'm the sword of the morning. Look at me, I'm powerful. He could have, you mm-hmm. know, sat the throne and ruled in Robert's name cruelly. Yeah. He could have, I mean, yeah. the advantage he did use it for was actually doing the job better than most people would do. So, mm-hmm. it's a different sort of honor. 
Not the horse kind. Not the horse kind. (laughs) So the smell of the kitchen drifts through Bran's dream like he'd never left the feast. And he prowls through the trees, his brother close behind, the howling of the man pack in the background, making them restless. He wants to run, to hunt. The rattle of iron makes his ears prick up, and his brother hears it too. They bound towards the still water at the old white one, smelling the scent of a stranger, man smell mixed with, we- mixed with leather, earth, and iron. The intruders push into the wood, a female, a young male, no fear on them, even at their white teeth. His brother growls low, but they do not run. The female says, Here they come, and he whispers to himself, Mira? They comment on the size of the wolves, and Jojen says, They'll be bigger yet, his green eyes unafraid. Me, sneaking away to greet the dogs. This is very you behavior. <laughs> we're gonna sneak, we're gonna find them. The black one is full of fear and rage, but the gray is stronger. Stronger than he knows. Can you feel him, sister? No, she said, moving a hand to the hilt of the long brown knife she wore. Go careful, Jojen. He won't hurt me. This is not the day I die. The male walked toward them, unafraid, and reached out for his muzzle, a touch as light as a summer breeze. Yet at the brush of those fingers, the wood dissolved, and the very ground turned to smoke beneath his feet and swirled away laughing, and then he was spinning and falling, falling, falling. I love that. I love, actually, as we kind of talked a little bit about their relationship, that right there spells out the dichotomy of Mira and Jojen, right? Jojen reassures her, don't be afraid, sister. I won't die here. I know when I die. And she says, "Uh uh-uh, fuck no. I got my hand on the knife. I'm going to go into big sister protect mode on your ass. Uh, Very clear, clear... Very clear characterization of these two characters within their introduction, right? There, there's no questioning. There's just more to learn on them, but no questioning who they are and what they kind of stand for yet. And I also really love, we talked a little bit in the last chapter of some of this, like, conversion of language between the Weirwood and Bran and, like, and the wolves and how Bran sees through the wolves and the things and the way his brain thinks. And so I love their old white one is how they see the tree right, old white one, and how they hear the sounds of the man pack in the background, of the people getting shit show drunk in the kitchen. I think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you get, like, it's fun because you get similar language, right, when you get to the Veramir chapters, man pack. <laughs> and, and... And the fact that, that then Bran goes back to falling, mm. falling, falling, just like he did when his third eye was first open. Like, I think that every step that he takes further into that sort of realm he ends up going back to the dream of falling and every flight beginning with oh yeah interesting yeah do you think he's like still falling and hasn't i mean he hasn't really really flown yet right like do you think like that was just a brief moment in his dream and it could it could still happen at any time i mean it probably won't because then we won't have a story but Isn't life falling, though, until you fly a little bit, and then you fall again, and then you gotta fly a little bit? I mean, there's a lot of stop and go. Yeah. Yeah, I think he has to continually Mm. take these steps so that he can, like, um, (laughs) level up (laughs) before he, you know, reaches his final form. He's, uh... (laughs) Yeah, he's farming Uh, right now. Falling... Farming by falling. Yeah, he has... He has to open Mm. more and more and more. 
to really let that mystical, uh, magical stuff in. Yeah. Kind of like how John has to die before he can, yeah. you know, deal with the dead. I mean, he'll get better. <laughs> I guess. Probably. Uh, get well soon. <laughs> send him the card he can't read because he's dead. Thoughts and prayers. He never even felt the four <laughs> He only felt three. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. Not even that bad. Uh, that now bad. he can't feel anything yeah, at all. Yeah. I mean. Certainly not emotional pain. Speaking of feeling... Uh, I thought this was an interesting line from Jojen along with like you know the gray is strong stronger than he knows I'm like oh you're talking about Bran actually like when he says can you feel him sister is he talking about Bran like can you feel Bran inside of the wolf and she's like no you fucking weirdo and now she doesn't mm-hmm. say that she's a very nice supportive That's so great. she's a very supportive older <laughs> she's like sister. I feel the hilt of this knife <laughs> <laughs> that's great I didn't really catch that actually and I think you you're absolutely spot on there can you feel him Sister, this one is stronger. Why is it stronger? Oh, because Bran is actively in it. Yeah. Like, I think he can feel Mm -hmm. Bran's presence. And I don't know if it's, like, when he touches Bran. It might just be, like, a recoiling in general. That's why Bran's, like, loses it and starts uh, falling. But Or does Can Jojen, like, push people out, right? Push things out of, like, skin changing. I don't know. There's also something interesting with, like, not just, obviously, the wolf is Summer, but Jojen's own associations with summer as well right you're talking about the mossy green of his eyes uh and and how it talks about how his touch is light as a summer breeze so it's probably because he's a sweet summer child who's gonna die in like i don't know a minute not this minute i mean i kind of think that the the reason that bran because we see we see roderick do it too roderick Mm. touches bran bran comes out of the waking dream uh, Jojen touches Summer and Bran comes out of the waking dream, or well, the sleeping dream. Uh, <laughs> but I think that it's that the the connection between Bran and the human world is restored through oh. touch, and he has to come back to himself. That's really interesting. That is really interesting. Yeah, especially because you know touch is in hands. That's a big part of of what fucked him up. But besides Hodor, right, who he's kind of, in a fucked up way, sees an extension of himself. He's not really having that sort of intimacy with any other people. His parents aren't there Mm -hmm. to hug him. Rob's not there to hug him. Yeah. You know Lewin is hugging. Lewin is hugging. He does seem like a hugger. He also is like a little hair ruffler, I feel like. I feel like he often yeah. would reach over and ruffle Bran's hair and be like, good job, Bran, give him a pat. <laughs> yeah. Roderick, too. Roderick's oh, a hair ruffler. They, sh- they should have stayed in that cave, you guys, and that cave was the Great Hall at Winterfell. They should have stayed yeah. in that cave. But only, like, tonight. <laughs> only this night. <laughs> because as soon as they leave, all the bad things start happening again. Yeah. All of them. It was a good party. Absolutely all of them. Yeah. And gotta be honest the party wouldn't have been the same without your presence i'm so glad you could attend the harvest feast this year courtney that was Thank why you. do you think she came all this way oh god i oh oh god you know what i was actually oh, no. planning on saying that <laughs> <laughs> got him but you got it in first so i'll just say that um it is difficult for me to to leave my home uh but for you two worth oh my it. god worth it thank you thank, thank you. you gosh thank you. we're so blessed to yes. have had you for this feast thank you so much and <laughs> thank you for sharing your thoughts and your produce with us all the time that's i mean i don't know which is better Always. 
Truly. <laughs> the fruits, yeah. The things she produces or the produce she gathers. Sick burn, Chloe, thoughts, sick the burn. Produce. Thank you for uh, gathering your thoughts so that we might harvest them. Oh my them god. And share them Jesus so Christ, that we may all I feast quit. upon uh, your brilliance. <laughs> That's what I'm here for. you came all this way, as she said. Yeah. Who has a better story than me? better story than you? Oh my it's God. true. It's true. And we will miss you next week when we leave the feast. When we go towards uh, some drama begins soon. You know, next week is a, a fun... Bran and the Reeds start to get to know one another next week. And uh, things get a little weird, you know, a little tense. But soon the story's about to take off. I can't believe we're going to get to to the end of this book, to everything that happens, and we have to leave Winterfell. Yeah, Ugh. and by next week, we mean the week after, because we actually are going to be at our own harvest feast and continuing that, and therefore yeah. uh, we'll not have an episode, but we will have our brunch slash happy hour on Saturday, uh, November 26th. Yeah, we'll be back in December. You'll hear from us in December, as winter has truly come, and we'll be back on track for Bran, as well as those His Dark Materials episodes we mentioned earlier. Yeah, and if you want to keep up with whenever any of those episodes come out, you can by following us on social media at twitter.com slash girlsgonecanon, that's C-A-N-O-N, or you can also always send us an email, as people do, at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, please, please, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform where you listen to us dearly all the time, or leave us a review, Eliana's fond of those. You can find us over at Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Audible, Stitcher, Acast, you name it, we're there. And of course, you can always find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. We are patrons in the $5 tier and above, the stranger tier and above. Do you still get one more episode this month? The Queen's Guard. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about the Queens and their guard. And like Aliana mentioned... We'll be having brunch for our Thunder Tier patrons and above the $10 tier and above. That again can be accessed by logging on at patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. And thank you to our other host, our guest here. I was here yes. too. <laughs> I mean, Thanks it's again. not a feast without, like, you know, a guest, so... True. Yeah. Two is dinner, but three, that's a feast. Absolutely. That's a feast for crows. No, that's four. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> oh, my God. Good. Bye. <laughs>